Welcome to Season 2 of I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Caraview. For Season 2, my guest hosts chose the record, and I'll be honest, sometimes I do not fucking love it. However, I did fucking love talking to each and every one of them about their choice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This episode, we are shooting for the moon and talking about Bloodletting, the third studio album by Concrete Blonde. It was released on May 15th, 1990, and was produced by Concrete Blonde and Chris Singarides. Singaridis? I don't know, it's Greek to me. Darkening the light on the other mic today is a writer, a teacher, and a fellow American in hiding, Evelyn Ashenbrenner. Evelyn, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. How's everything going? Oh, very good. Looking forward to talking about this album. Yeah, me too. So this is... uh, uh, this is a good one, and not one I probably would have chosen myself for reasons we'll get into uh, with the analysis. So I was glad that you suggested this one because there's some some really great tunes on here. Uh, so this is your choice. We're in season two. Uh, season one, you and I talked about Nirvana's uh, uh, MTV Unplugged album, and this was your choice. So how did this album enter your life? Okay, so this album came into my life, I want to say, in 96 or 97. And this was, I was going to my first goth club labyrinth and they would play a lot of like really slow depressing stuff like think of like sisters of mercy susie and the banshees and that's when i first heard that the opening track and i just i fell in love with the lead singer's voice i fell in love with the ambiance of it it was just it was dark it was weird it was different and i just i love the sound and i think also like it mentions new orleans and i think i connected it to like books i was reading at the time like Anne Rice and Poppy C. Bright, those vampire novels set in New Orleans. And just this, that song has really hit all the right buttons at the right time. And did you go out and buy, how long did it take before you went out and listened to the whole album? I think it was, this was this song and also a Dead Can Dance song was one that just really, I love dancing to them I got uh, on Goth Nights. And so you know, I asked the DJ you know, what the songs were and then almost very quickly I ran out and bought the album. And while well, the album was a little bit different than what I was expecting, I, I love the lyrics. I love the powerfulness of her voice. And I just, I really fall in love with the overall, like, I guess we call like gothic rock or goth rock would be the sound of this album. And I really like the sound of it. I've been racking my brain trying to remember how I originally heard this album. Because I associate this album with 1992 and a particularly bad breakup. So this is an album I don't revisit very often, with the exception of one or two songs. So it's a, it does, I don't really listen to this album as a whole very often, because this is one of those that is stuck in 1992 for me. And I don't remember exactly if I was listening to it before, and then just happened to that carried through the breakup, or if I was listening to it because of the breakup. Uh, I had friends who were living... So I, I was in Tampa uh, going to school at the time. And I had friends who were going to the University of Florida in Gainesville, and they were also listening to this record. And I don't know if that was a coincidence or if one of those guys told me to listen to it or I, you know, it's one of, it's just, I've been killing myself trying to remember why exactly I was listening to this album in 92, as opposed to in 1990, or, you know, I don't know why, if something, if it was because of a dance club or there's just, I can't quite grasp it. It's been driving me a little bit crazy, but either way, I still associate this album with that time, unfortunately. And there's a couple of tracks where I will I will talk a little bit more about that. So that's it. So that's how uh, how Concrete Blonde came into my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I guess mine was much more definite because, um, again, it was, it was the late 90s. I was living in a suburb of Detroit and I was going to, it was a, a goth club. It was near City Club in downtown Detroit. And it was, I think, I was, uh, was Saturday or Sundays they had goth night. And it was just, I was sort of like this, like, like, blossoming little little goth girl and i just fell in love with a lot of the music i heard and this one left a really big impression on me just because not only was it dark but it was also just i thought it was really good like her voice was amazing and other things and i just yeah really made it really made an impression on me i can see why she has a, a fantastic voice and uh, in the context of a goth club that first uh, bloodletting the vampire song is the one that you heard at the club yes that was Yes. Yeah, I can I can see how that would make an impression in clubs with club speakers and and uh, a full dance floor. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh yes, yeah, and I remember. I think that the main time I remember listening to this album was I'd be getting ready with my friends. Would you know we would come over to go over to the houses, you know, white makeup, black eyeliner, rip up our fishnets, and then head off to Detroit to sneak into the goth club. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ninety seven. Yeah. It's so far away. Good year. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and get into our track-by-track track analysis. The first track here, as we've already said, is the more or less the title track, Bloodletting, The Vampire Song. This is your choice. Why don't you start this off for us? What are, what are your thoughts on this song? I guess two things. I thought this was a really strong opening for this album. I mean, again, it's just, it's, it, I think it's, it's a little spooky. It's a little different. And again, I... There are a lot of connections that I was making in with, like you know, with Ed, with Anne Rice and other writers that are writing about vampires in New Orleans. It just seemed like it was sort of this very, this like perfect combination of things for the, for the, for the time. And what I also liked about it was again, like just you know, her voice, her voice backing it. And it wasn't just like this is you know some fun spooky song. This is she's a really good singer, and I feel like that is one of the reasons why you know the words and the lyrics just really got got under my skin. What do you think about it? This is a great opening track. Uh, I haven't been really uh, very good about this lately, but as far as the different types of openers, this is certainly a call to action. Uh, this is meant to get you right into the album, get your hooks right into you. Uh, and this is re- this is a great way to open up this record. Um, I, I like it, it. Starts with what I like to think of as, as bat sounds. Uh, you can hear a very similar yes. sound on the Cure uh, somewhere on Disintegration. I think starts with the same kind of sound. I don't know what is making that sound. So in my head, <laughs> bat sounds. Uh, yes. And it's got like that great ominous bass line before the guitar kicks in. And there's a lot of metal sounding guitar on this record. And about three or four of the tracks, I mean, that's just 80s metal guitar happening right there. Uh, I love how the vocals are layered on top of each other for the chorus. It really just pumps up that chorus. And again, I can just imagine hearing that when, with you know proper club speakers and a, and a full dance floor. Yeah, long trailing uh, lace black dresses and those guys with those like poofy sleeves and all that. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I, I saw more than one person dancing that way to this song somewhere in, in Tampa in the in the early 90s. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and even after the after the solo, there's that uh, she makes that little kind of slurping noise. Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the record. Yeah, there's a lot of good technical details in it too. I forgot about yeah, sort of like that. The, the creepy bat sounds and that slurping sound, and yeah, it just really it sort of. I feel like it really it pulls you into the song, makes you feel like you're you're there down somewhere in New Orleans, and you're going to go off hunting for blood. <laughs> yeah, and she has uh, the the singer has mentioned how this was influenced by Anne Rice uh, writing about and and her also her love of New Orleans. So uh, putting those things together, great great opening track, uh, and then that brings us into the track two. The sky is a poisonous garden. And this one's just a, a straight up rocker. So it's like 
fast yes. song, fast song, just great guitar. And this is another one uh, that's not that far off from being just kind of a heavy metal song. But I think that was part of the appeal. And I don't know if maybe this is why I've been thinking about it. Maybe this is why somebody recommended this this album to me. Because uh, I used to listen in high school. I listened basically exclusively to heavy metal. And then this would have been when I was experimenting, uh, sp- experimenting a lot more with music and listening to different things. But also still listening to things on the heavier side, like Faith No More or Ministry or Jane's Addiction, this kind of thing. So this really would have fit into what I was listening to at the time. And I could see why somebody would recommend this to me. And it's just, I can't remember who that person was. So this, these first two songs just really just, just start off just like, bam, bam. Uh, what do you think of this one? This is a great song. And again, I think like, I've often heard the music genre goth rock, and it's sort of like, what does that even mean? And I feel like that genre is this album. Because you're right, it has a lot of guitars. It sounds, it's, this one is, I love the second song. It's fast, it's energetic. I think also it really captures both sort of like elements of metal and also elements of like sort of the, especially with her voice, you have sort of flashes of Susie and the Banshees in her voice, but that's sort of that lovely goth angst. I think it's just, it's a really early good melding of two very different genres or two different styles together. Yeah, her voice is really what keeps any of these songs from going full heavy metal. And I mean that in the best way possible. She's got a fantastic voice and she doesn't sing like a metal singer. Uh, and there are metal singers with fantastic voices, so I don't mean it that way either. Just uh, her approach to the to the singing is just different, and it's great. And I I don't know a whole lot about goth rock. I, I know like Christian Death and a few others is that kind of the where they just had they were from L.A. and had those heavy guitars, but more of the spooky atmospherics or something. So this I think really yeah. just fits into that style. And I think it was one of the only albums they really did that. I don't think their previous ones uh, hit on those as much, but I'm not quite as familiar. Yeah, I don't think so either. This is, this is the only album of theirs that I'm really familiar with. But I think also, I like the heavier guitars and it keeps it from getting too... Because sometimes with some goth stuff, it could just it could get so angsty and so spooky and you're like, to it, and it's like, is this a song or are you just in a basement, like, you know, listening to creepy, creepy movies <laughs> or something? And I feel like this really captures both sort of the you know, sort of the, the spooky ambiance and the you know the the pretty voice, but also there's a really great energy to this album, which which keeps it which keeps it going. And I think why well, I kept coming back to it. Sure, especially these first two songs. That brings us on to track three, Caroline. What are your thoughts here? I I, I love the lyrics of this one. It's very gentle. It sort of it cap, really captures this feeling of this wistfulness of having lost someone. And especially sort of a, as a as a bi teenager, I sort of like that it was. Is this a love song? Is this about friendship? We're not sure. But again, it's, it really captures this sort of this really sad sort of this wistful mood about someone you were very close to, and now now you're not anymore. What do you think? I can't listen to this song. So, uh, like I said, this oh. uh, this album <laughs> carries some emotional baggage for me, and this song. Basically, I put all of that baggage into this song. Certain things with certain lyrics in here just remind me a little too strongly of that time. And it was a really dark time. Uh, I, I was I had a housing crisis and I went through a really bad breakup. And there were times where I remember just walking through bad neighborhoods in Tampa in the middle of the night by myself, kind of hoping something bad would happen. It was just really dark and not, wow. not a good time. And I think because of... And I and I don't really like the with a few exceptions. I don't like the slower songs as much on this record as I like the heavier songs, mm-hmm. which again just goes to to my musical past. I think. And uh, the fortunate thing is I've been able to d- dump almost all of like my the bad feelings I had about this time into this song, 
and I skip it and I don't have to deal with it quite as much. And I don't want to get too much into details because it was a super long time ago. But uh, yeah, so I don't really like listening to this one because this is the song that really pulls me back to that time. I was say, if there's any if any song that would capture those sort of feelings, I think it seems appropriate it would be this one because again, it is a very, it's a very melancholy mm-hmm. song. Yeah, and and it is so. like you said, kind of purposely vague, which is nice and uh, allows you to to kind of color in some of the uh, the corners on your own. Track four, "Darkening of the Light." Uh, I really like this song. This is one of the few of the slower songs that I, I like. Uh, I like the effect of the where she repeats the line, but it comes in from the like, especially when you're listening to this on headphones. Uh, so she says a line and then she says it again. But the first time you hear it in the left side and then you hear it on the right side. Uh, and then there's a time where it's just the one lone voice and then they track her two voices together. So it's like, you know, the, the something, uh, the something. And then are you there is together? You know, and it's really cool. And I love how that uh, how that effect really works. Uh, and there's that like lilting acoustic sounding guitar. It's probably an electric guitar. I don't think they're actually playing an acoustic guitar, but that's what it kind of sounds like. And during the uh, solo, it sounds almost because um, he's just really playing on the on the bottom strings. Uh, really, they sound really tight. So it sounds not quite like a mandolin and not quite like a steel pedal, but close to those two while being just on a standard guitar. Uh, and just the rhythms of it really work for me. I like this song a whole lot. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I love this one. Again, it's, it's you know the first two songs are really upbeat, very fast. We have Caroline, which is you know is slower, and this one is, it's pretty. The lyrics are just full of those lovely sort of you know, this very sad angst. And yeah, I haven't listened in headphones in a long time, so I'll have to give it a listen on headphones and sort of see the the vocal airings. But um, again, it's just like the the mood it evokes and the lyrics that she uses. Just, and I like this also shows that. Like, well, the first two songs are they really show off her, her vocal range. Like this one, even when she's not sort of getting really intense, her voice still really works well. And it's sort of this, sort of this gentle, more stripped down song than the other some of the other songs on the album. And I think it really, really works sort of like has this album, I think, really has an ebb and flow. And I feel like this is sort of one of the nice sort of like the waves going back out, so to speak, where it's getting a little softer, a little more gentle. And I think it really works for the overall arc and the overall mood of the album. So that goes on to track five. I don't need a hero. What did you think? Yeah, I like this one because I feel like this. Um, I know it's probably not the same time period, but Ermia, who is that? That the singer that um, waiting for a hero. Oh, um, that pop song. Anyway, I I like this because again, I feel like again, it's sort of a, sort of an interesting anatomy of a breakup in in the lyrics here. And I like it because I feel like some of the other songs, like Bloodlighting, is this very strange one. It's talking about, you know, New Orleans and vampire hunting and blood and, and that sort of thing. And like this one, we suddenly get these, not not typical, but something very relatable, I think, situations we all, all could relate to. And, and I sort of think in sort of the terms of the, the, the overall flow of the album, I think this is sort of a good, a good sort of um, point but before the next song, which is much more energetic and upbeat. What did, what did you think? This is my least favorite song on the album. So, uh, yeah, I find really? this one to just be a little bit boring, a little bit plodding. Uh, whereas even with Caroline on the on the occasion that I listened to it, I think still, even though it's a slower song, has a bit of a thrust. The Darkening of the Light, like I said, just has those that, that really kind of cool rhythm to it. And then this one just, I feel like it doesn't go anywhere. I wonder if it's just the difference that I, I had always, I've always listened to this one on CD or on streaming and listening to it straight through. But if I wonder if, like, if this is finishing side one and then I'm flipping it over, if that makes any difference. Like if I appreciate it because it's ending the side as opposed to just kind of being there. Because I, really, I don't really care for that one very much. 
Well, that brings us to the end of Side One of Bloodletting by Concrete Blonde here on I Fucking Love This Record with our special guest, Evelyn Ashenbrenner. Uh, now, Evelyn, you have a YouTube channel where you do a lot of stuff there. Why don't you tell my listeners uh, a bit about that? All right. So the YouTube channel, it's under, if you search for Detroiter in Poland, you can find it. And I talk about a couple of different things. Um, the main focus though, is like lefty politics, especially politics in Poland, a lot of LGBT issues. And I also occasionally post about um, the drag stuff that I do, the drag performances. Okay. And I know this is something that, uh, well, at least it feels like in Poland, just recently you've started doing this. I don't know if you did this back in the States or not. Uh, so this where you do the, the drag king. Uh, is this a, a new thing for you? This is a new thing. Um, definitely a new thing. I, I've wanted to do drag for years. I've gone to a few drag king shows and I've always been interested, but it wasn't until, interesting enough, I was here in Poland that I found a few other women who were also interested in drag. And so we formed our own troupe and it's it's really, we all do sort of very, we have very different personas, but I feel like we all, we really inspire each other. We all work really well together. And we had our first show all together at Ha last week, um, last weekend at the local gay club here. And I really, really enjoyed uh, it. It sounded like a, a lot of fun. I was uh, uh, sorry to have missed it, but I heard some really nice things about it. So hopefully one of these days I'll catch, I'll catch your show uh, where you're uh, Jack Strong. Jack Strong. Yeah, that's my persona right. name. Well, very cool. So thank you very much for talking about that. And once again, uh, that is a, a Detroiter in Poland. I can find you on YouTube and that is also your name on Twitter, correct? Yeah, that's my name on Twitter. Okay, and now we're going to pause just for a moment to hear from one of our friends. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we flipped the record over. Track six, Days and Days. Man, I like this song a lot. Uh, it's just got that great bass intro. And, and this is something I love a great bass intro. And that is something you didn't get a whole lot of in metal because uh, it was usually all about the guitar, occasionally here and there. But so that's what I love about like with post-punk bands, especially. And if you're like that, a lot of them will just have that driving rhythm that start just something cool happening with the bass. And that's what happens here. And then there's these jagged guitars going on more or less in the background because her voice is, is right up front. There's a real urgency to this one and just a terrific start to side two. So side two starts a lot like side one does. It's just like, boom. Here we are. Let's fucking go. What did you think of this one? Yeah, this is a great song. And again, I think this is sort of the where the energy picks back up in this song. I was sort of having this sort of lull with, uh, especially with the last one, I Don't Need a Hero. And yeah, I think this is great. It's um, it's sort of this frantic energy to it that really, it shows off her vocal range. And it sort of reminds me, you mentioned post-punk. It's like the Susie and the Banshees, which I've, I've mentioned uh, comparing this album to some of Susie's stuff. Susan the Banshee is all inspired by punk and, and sort of the sort of post-punk sort of on the on the road to becoming goth. And like this sort of shows a nice sort of blending between, you know, the sort of gothier stuff and and metal. And again, I thought the song is just it's it's frantic, it's urgent, it needs to happen. And yeah, it's a really great way to open open side two. You know, because Bloodletting is an amazing song. I think this is also really strong uh beginning to to this to the next side. Yeah, definitely. So then on to track seven, The Beast. What about this one? I absolutely loved this song as a teenager. I thought it was the, the best song about, about love ever. Re-listening to it, I'm like, huh. Um, it's not it's a little over the top. It seems yeah, a little bit a little bit cheesy. I mean, it's still fun. I still enjoy it. I still enjoy the energy of it. But yeah, it's um, the angstiness of it and the over-the-topness of it sort of 
as an adult, I'm like, okay, this is, I, I think if I had heard this song now, I don't know if I would have gotten as much into it. But hearing it as a teenager and in my early 20s, I absolutely loved it. I loved sort of yeah, the, you know, the, you know, the angst and sort of the overall message of it. But sort of now it's sort of like, huh, man, I was an angsty teenager. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What did you think of this uh, one? I say this with all affection. Uh, but the intro to this song is Motley Crue. This is a Motley Crue song for the first minute. Just the, the the way the drums are played, the way the guitar sounds. I mean, even the tone. That I mean, that could be the guitar that Mick Mars played on uh, on Theater of Pain. Uh, obviously, once again, once she starts singing, then then it changes. Uh, but it's and Eric Schmidt, uh, my buddy, who's all about '80s metal. Listen to the song and tell me I'm wrong. Anyway. Uh, so I really, I, I still like this one because it's that one-two punch like we saw at the at the top of the record with uh, with Bloodletting and then uh, Poisonous Garden. So now here we have Days and Days and the Beast. It's like boom, boom. This is probably the most dated sounding. I mean, this screams 1989, yes. Uh Just the way the drums sound, just the way the snares play, you know, just the way it's really connected to that particular era. We haven't really gotten too much into the uh, um, to the lyrics on this one, so I'm going to just kind of uh, on this album as a as a whole outside of the first one. But uh, yeah, what were you going to say? Sorry, I was say this this song. I you know, I've not listened to Motley Crue that much, and so I I I, w- I would have missed the, the the intro to that. But it reminds me, there's another um, sort of another sort of like goth rock band called Sunshine Blind. That again, I love them when I was a teenager, and now when I listen I'm like wow, this sounds super nineties. <laughs> just just. Something about the guitars and the style where it's just like, yeah, a little metal a little cheesy. Maybe that's what, maybe that's the Motley Crue influence, but it's just like, I feel with the beast, it's sort of like, it's fun. It's almost like, it's a fun song with a little over the top for my taste. I can see that. And, and I can see where this is one that your opinion would change over time because it's, it's of the era. So when you're first hearing it, you're not thinking much about it, but then to, to go back and listen, especially on the rest of this record because when it's heavy and I found out that the guy who produced it along with the band was mainly known as a, a heavy metal producer for a long time. So he produced a lot of those new wave of British heavy metal bands. So he did like Pang Tango and I think he did the Scorpions and, uh, oh, you know, okay. or, uh, Pang Tango, but, uh, Tigers, Pang Tan, some, I can't remember now, but so a lot of those, let's say late seventies, early eighties metal bands, he was able to. He was one of those guys that figured out how to make metal sound good on wax, kind of thing. Nice. Uh, that's where he got his start, and then I think he ended up doing uh, a lot of other pop and rock kind of stuff. But I think that's. I think that's why these songs that are heavier have that metal edge to them, because I think that's just what he was known for. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I do. I do like the metal edges on these songs because, again, um, you know, my my main two loves are, are goth and industrial, and well, I do love goth music. That sometimes it's just sort of like. Okay, sit down, put away the book of poetry, <laughs> and untuck the fluffy lacy shirt and just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And I feel like with, with this album, it just feels like uh, sometimes Gothic goes not sort of cheesy, but again, it just sort of like where it's, it's too much or too overdone. And this album, the emotions seem very real and very raw. And there's something about that and the, 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 those edges of the guitars. It just really, it still really sticks with me after all these years. So let's move on to track eight, Lullaby. And and here we can see that side two is really doing a, a repetition of side one. It starts with two fast songs, and then it's followed by three slower songs. Uh, and so this is the, the first of the final three. Uh, it doesn't really pick back up. So with Lullaby, this is <laughs> this is what it says. It, it, it 
it tells you right there in the title, it's a lullaby. And this one really feels like a straight up pop song. Like I could hear uh, Wilson Phillips doing this song or something. Just there's no edge to this one at all. It's not a bad song, but it just, unlike The Beast, which has that 80s metal feel to it, you know, right down to the drums, this one just feels like it could have been any faceless pop starlet could have done this song. You know, Tiffany could have done this song or something. Uh, I just, it, this one doesn't have anything to hold on to. Whereas with the, the last song on side one, which I really don't like. Uh, so this isn't like, I, I, you know, I don't need a hero because it's at least it's pretty and it's not, it's not plotting like the other one. It's just okay. But this is probably my second least favorite song on the album. What are your thoughts? Yeah, actually, as soon as you said, I could almost picture the skip ahead button on my CD player from the, from the 90s. Where like, you know, if I wanted something like so, a pretty song, I would put out like Switchblade Symphony or Faith in the Muse or just something, something like really just super, you know, super out there over the top goth stuff. But I feel like with this, like, yeah, the lyrics don't catch me as much. I mean, again, it's a really nice song. And I think on any other album, I would really like it. But I feel like since the rest of the album is so good and so powerful between, like, between you know, you know, faster songs like Bloodletting and Days and Days and then some of the really slower angst-filled songs, it's like this one just sort of gets lost a little bit among all the other really good songs. It's not that it's bad. I just feel like on this album, it sort of it doesn't quite – it's not quite as rooted in, in one place or one feeling as the other songs, if that makes sense. Yeah, perfect sense. It doesn't quite – just doesn't stick. Yeah, I think this is the one. I, I, this is one of the few songs where, like, I was looking at the tracks, like, what is lullaby about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to mention that there's probably you know a dozen songs called lullaby or the lullaby of something, you know. So I think you know, like Tom Waits has a song called lullaby, and somebody and it, there's a, a lot of a lot of a lot of lullabies out there. Yeah, if somehow it reminds me of there's a Beatles song, I think Good Night, Good Night. It kind of reminds me of that somehow, where it's just sort of this random slow song about you know, evening. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So moving on to track nine, Joey, their biggest and I think only real hit. Uh, what did you think about this one? I never knew this as their big hit because again, I, you know, I found them through the, their first track. But I found this really, really pretty. And it's, again, this is, I think, a really strong shift down to the more melodic, uh, you know, slower song near the end. And again, just it, it sounds almost a little bit poppy, which is maybe why it was a bigger hit. But again, just between, you know, her, you know, her, 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 I keep mentioning her vocals, but I feel like her vocals really care this because it goes from this very, you know, sort of, um, the, the, you know, this softer, softer lyrics to the chorus, which she just sort of gets, really throws herself into. It was almost like you were reading my notes. Her vocal performance carries this for me is the first note that I have. Uh, and, but a lot like Caroline, I have a hard time listening to this one, uh, because of that time and i wasn't a big fan of the song when i first heard the album i thought i didn't dislike it like uh, the other ones that i had talked about but it just wasn't i, I like the heavier stuff for the most part uh, but this is a it's a good song i can see why this is a hit i can see why this would be the one one of the ones you would want to, to release on pop radio or rock radio uh, especially at the time with the problems that I went through, they weren't drug related uh, or anything like that. Like this song is obviously about somebody with a drug or alcohol problem. Uh, it's still, I'm finding listening to this brings me back to that place. And so during the research for this one, this is one I didn't listen to a whole lot. I listened to it a couple times and 
I like it. I think it's a good song, uh, but not one that I care to listen to quite that often. Yeah, I guess there was sort of. I don't re-listen to this one as much because, you know, there were. I guess you know going you know going to a goth club, you are going to encounter people who are going to have you know alcohol or other issues, and you know it, it's. I haven't listened to them, this song that much because there are some people that I've you know parted ways or haven't seen since. Uh, you know, that's been almost twenty years, more than twenty years, and yeah, you're right. This is a. It's the themes in this one are I think much more generally dark, like you know. Like, Bloodletting and the Beast are sort of you know, you know, t- tongue in cheek, dark you know, uh, dark themes. But this one generally is getting a little bit, not a little, bit, getting extremely heavy in terms of theme. Yeah, this is this one's real, <laughs> and, it, and it and it feels <laughs> yeah. it. You know, so you can you can really hear the pain in her voice, and and you can hear kind of that resignation, Joey. You know, if you're hurting, so am I. Or uh, you know, there's a couple of lines in here like that where it's you know, this really feels like it, can, and it's. Not obviously necessarily just one story, uh, but it's one that's uh, I think come it comes from. It, this feels like it comes from a real place. There's a song that she there's a solo song she did called "Souvenir," which is extremely slow and again comes from a very real, raw, vulnerable place. And I feel like um, this song is almost like sort of a like a, a like a prequel to that one, where it's just it's obviously you know there were some real stuff inspired this you can hear it in her voice you can you could hear it in the lyrics that she chooses and and yeah i guess you're right this is a difficult song for me to listen to i don't listen to it that often uh, that brings us on to the final track tomorrow wendy and man what a great song i've said i generally like the heavier songs on this album and this is the exception because i think this may be the best song on the album uh, this is a terrific choice for a closer. As I've mentioned a hundred times on the show, I'm a sucker for a slow for a slow closer. Uh, but this is how you do it because this one has a real punch to it. This has a real kind of. There's a lot going on in this song, and almost all of it is good. And I know it was written by somebody else. I believe from um, from Wall of Wall of Voodoo. Wall of Voodoo. And uh, so he wrote it and played keyboards on it, I think, uh, the singer from the band or the songwriter from the band anyway. And she and they released, they both recorded the song, both bands recorded the song, and she sang on both versions. Now, I haven't heard the other version. I didn't know there was another one until just recently. And that's something I do want to check out because I just, I love the lyrics in this one. I love the way she sings. I like just that it's slow but it's going somewhere and it's got some some real movement behind it and uh it's got some terrific lines in it and you know we've kind of ignored not ignored but we haven't really talked that much about the lyrics beyond just more generalities but just the the second to last course or verse where he's like you know i told the priest don't count on any second coming god got his ass kicked the first time he came down here slumming i mean it's like a little bit edgy, but you know. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think this is what really drew me to it again. It's not just it's, you know, her. It's not just you know that her vo- her vocals are pretty. It's not just that she has you know some fun sort of spooky dark songs. It's like, yeah, this this these verses here, like, wow, okay, this is good stuff. Like, I like here also. There's a she almost speaks a lot. I wonder what he thought it would get us and that, with the priest and God getting his ass kicked, and it does. It works really well. I think in terms of it, almost like not being poetry, but very. Very poetic. Just a terrific way to, to close down this album. That brings us on to our final thoughts. So, uh, Evelyn, what was it of all the albums we could have done? Why did uh, why did you want to choose this one? I think 
I want to choose this one because this one I still find like there's very few other albums that are anything like this in terms of style, in terms of depth, in terms of intensity. Um, like I was sort of like, you know, I've listened to a lot of, you know, like goth and dark wave and post punk and all that stuff. And I love that stuff, but I feel like this one really stands out in being very, very unique and being very, and also just being a great album altogether. Because so I feel like if I wanted to listen to something like this, I'm not even sure what else would be like this. I mean, maybe Sunshine Blind has some moments of that, but I really feel like this is just it's such a great, unique, distinct album. And again, between the lyrics and the power of her voice, it just... I love this one. I always keep coming back to it. There's albums that you carry with you. Uh, so I, I like to think of uh, Faith No More is the Real Thing, which could totally just be associated with 1990 and 1991 for me because I listened to that album a lot during that time. But I never gave up on it. It's something that I carried with it. I would I'd listen to it a couple of times a year type thing. And so it never became rooted in one place. Uh, I think because of what was going on, this album stayed rooted in 1992 that uh with the exception of probably tomorrow wendy because i used to i still do this on occasion i'll make uh, uh mixed cds or at the time it was like a mixtape or a mixed cd or now a playlist just women female singers and this is this is a song that has nice. made it to at least one of those if not more than one because i really love tomorrow wendy so that's a song that has traveled whereas most of the album has stayed in one place and so when we were talking about doing the show and you mentioned as this one of the choices, it was I really wanted to do this one because I wanted to revisit it uh, and see how I felt about it as a whole, as a document, as opposed to just, you know, because a lot of times if I pull this one out, because I do still have it on CD, I do have it here with me uh, and I will listen to track one uh, and then track 10. <laughs> it's not unusual just to just like boom, boom, that's what, that's what I need. If not, just listen to, to you know, and sometimes when I'm just skating through on YouTube or on Spotify or something that I'll, I'll look up tomorrow, Wendy, in in the course of just a bunch of uh, you know, female-led songs that I want to listen to. And I'll listen to tomorrow, Wendy, like 10 times and then go on to something else. So just to kind of, you know, recognizing it as a document was something I was looking forward to doing. So I appreciate you suggesting it. Uh, I appreciate you giving your thoughts and feelings on it. This was a lot of fun. Revisiting it. I can't help but want to dance to Bloodletting, and I always want to sing along to Tomorrow Wendy, so I just find it an absolutely great song. So uh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining the show today, Evelyn, and we'll uh, talk to you later. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record. If you would like to co-host an episode, contact me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. This and every episode can be found on my website, lovethisrecord.com. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, it's Love This Record. Twitter and Instagram, Love This Record 1. Music provided by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review, and we'll see you next time. 